You know, it's uh, my dad as he got older, his house got hotter. <laughs> my wife really can't be there for very long without like they have to open the windows and stuff like that. All right, everybody doing all right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Good. Let's pray. We got jogging to do. Well, Father, I love you and I thank you for the great morning we've already had. And I pray, God, as we dive into your word, that you would speak deeply to us and uh, help us to see beautiful things. Everybody okay? It's been forever. Yeah, we've missed this time. Oh, I've missed it big time. Are we starting a different book today? We are. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? Woo, yay. I really like Romans. Romans was great. Romans was fun. Now I have that you guys read 1 Corinthians 15 and 16 today, and we are just starting 1 Corinthians today. <laughs> and, okay. and there's so much stuff in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that I'd be really surprised if we got to first, even to chapter 2. But, you know, let's... Who cares? Before we jump into the book again, to, to understand any book of the Bible, you need to know the context. You need to know what's going on. You need to know what the point is. You know how hard would it have been to really thoroughly understand Romans if you hadn't known that Paul was speaking to. Gentiles and Jews and was kind of taking turns speaking to each one to, tr- to get them to come together. Okay, that, that was a huge part of understanding the book of Romans. If you don't, uh, uh, that piece of context is really important. And uh, there's some context involved in 1 Corinthians that is almost equally as important. Corinthians, uh, the city of Corinth was um, at one time considered to be the other capital of the Roman Empire. It was a huge city, massive urban area, um, uh, lots of money going through there, but it was also kind of the Vegas of the Roman world. Um, and it, it, it really was. It was the party city of the Roman world. Uh, it was, values were loose, crazy stuff happened. People talked about people from Corinth, you know, those guys from Corinth, you know. And the, the reason they did that is because there was a temple to Venus in Corinth. It was the primary, like, the center of who they were as a people. And if you know who Venus was, she was the goddess of love. And her, as a part of worshipping her, you would go to that temple and sleep with the priestess. Okay, that's what they did. That's, they would, part, part of worshipping the goddess was to go and have sex with the the temple courtesans. Okay, that was it cost a lot of money and whatever, but that's what you would do. Okay, so that's the center of their culture. Okay, so it's not unlike the United States. Okay, <laughs> sex is the center of this culture, and we have to understand that that's the environment that we're that that this church is planted in the midst of that craziness 
that we have people called out of this incredibly, ready, big word, licentious lifestyle, okay, you have licentious, okay, comes from the word license, means that you are free to do whatever you want, licentious, write that down, use it in a sentence today, licentious, okay, um, this incredibly uh, libertine, licentious lifestyle where it's just like anything goes, um, you know, the Apostle Paul at one point in this letter talks about a, a guy who's sleeping with his dad's new wife, like, it's and stuff like that. I mean, just weird stuff. That, and that's going on in the church, okay? So, like, yeah, it's, it's anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. You'll see. But you need to understand that that's the kind of city we're in, okay? This isn't, this, this isn't, you know, some kind of, you know, there's a lot of moral people that really care about right and wrong. No, this is, the, it's the opposite of that. And so that's our context. And the Apostle Paul went there. Um, he was in Athens, okay? And some of you might remember the discourse on Mars Hill. Anybody familiar with that from the book of Acts? Where the Apostle Paul is there in Athens, and he walks to where all the philosophers are talking to each other, and, and he says, I notice you're a really... You are a really religious people. Well, I'm here to talk to you about another God that you don't know about, and it's the God that created everything, and blah, 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 blah. And, and the philosophers basically needled him for a while and then said, this guy's a kook. And that was the end. And he didn't get any, there were no converts made in Athens at all. And so Paul just like, I'm out of there. And the next place he goes is Corinth. Okay, that's the next stop on his on his journey was the city of Corinth. And in Corinth, he takes a completely different track from Athens. In Athens, he stood up and he made a logical argument for Christ and for the resurrection and for the, you know, whatever. And nobody listened to him. So in Corinth, he does the complete opposite. He shows up and he basically, he puts up, he says, look, I can explain it to you or I can show you. And he begins to just display the power of the Holy Spirit in that place. Healing the sick, casting out demons, doing crazy stuff. God explodes in their midst and people start getting saved like crazy. Because the power of God is in the place. Now, this is a party city. And so Paul comes in going with fireworks, you know. And they're like, yeah, what is this? You know, it's totally God revolutionizes a, a large group of people. And he's there for about 18 months planting this church and then he, and then he moves on. And, uh, and Corinth was a big church. The power of God was it was hot there, man. It was a revival center. God was doing awesome stuff. The miraculous was happening everywhere. They'd have five and six messages in tongues every Sunday morning. You know, it was like it, I'm, I'm serious. People were prophesying constantly. Thus saith the Lord. You know, it was just this amazing outpouring of the supernatural. And Paul's excited about that. He didn't shut that down. Let me be completely clear with you. He th this was what God was doing in this place, and Paul didn't come in and go, no, 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 no settle down, people. That didn't happen. Um, he let God do what God wanted to do, and he, and he saw an explosion in this place of people getting saved and getting changed, and God was doing awesome stuff, and then Paul leaves. Now, it's a while later, and there's been a couple other people that have come in to Corinth since Paul has left. 
One guy, his name is Apollos. Okay, Apollos was a teacher of the Scripture, and as far as we know in Scripture, he was a really good teacher. Paul never says that he disagrees with anything Apollos was teaching. Okay? He, never, he never says that. He, he's, he affirms the ministry of Apollos in some of the other, leaders in the, uh, other letters in the New Testament. The other leaders. The later letters. I was first year and he was second year. Oh boy. And he was my, like, you know, in charge of me. And I still hate him. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. I love the guy and it's fun being on staff with him again. Especially now that he's not in charge of me anymore. Bitterness. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Really. I, I, honestly, I had. I was really glad to have him because I saw some of the other the other second years and I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad. Oh, I never got in that group over there. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was fun. But uh, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, okay, so Apollos had come in. Later on in Paul's uh, ministry, he and Apollos are like doing stuff together and, and he affirms Apollos. So Apollos is not a bad guy, but this is just another teacher that came in and was was you know planting it, you know seed into the church. Um, Peter, the apostle Peter, okay, had come, uh, had visited at least. We don't know if he spent much time there or whatever, but we know he had some influence in the church there. And we're going to run into that here in the first chapter. But you need to know that so. So what happened was you ended up with factions. Okay, so we have this large group of this large body of people that you know Paul laid the groundwork for, and then other teachers came in, and so now there's other, you know, there's there's this group that are going, you know, Paul was fine, but Apollos, man, Apollos really gets it. Then there's this other group that was like, no, 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 Peter is the man, you know. They called him Cephas. That was his that's Peter in Greek, and so that Cephas was what they called him, and, and, it, and they're like, no, 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 Cephas, man, he's the he's the one. He knew Jesus. Yeah, he walked with Jesus all that time, man. He's the guy. And, you know, and some people are like, well, I'm sorry, but I follow Jesus. I don't follow him. So, um, you know, you're typical religious jerks. I'm just gonna one up all of you. I follow Jesus, okay? So anyway, all right. So uh, let's start at the beginning from Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And from Sosthenes, uh, our brother in the Christian faith, okay, Sosthenes was a, a guy that helped Paul in the establishment of the Christian church. And now, and he's from Corinth, and he's traveling with Paul now. And so that's why Paul mentions it right at the beginning. Um, because, hey, it's the two of us. <laughs> um, and we're talking, a lot of people think maybe Sosthenes is the one. 
who came to them along with some other people and said, Hey, Paul, there's problems in Corinth. We're having some issues. So, you know, just... <clears throat> anyway, he doesn't get mentioned again. Uh, Paul always begins with this greeting, and he always says basically the same thing. I'm an apostle called by God. I didn't put myself in this place. I didn't ask for this. God, God put me here. And his authority comes out of his appointment by the Lord. Not out of any kind of self-aggrandizement. Not out of any kind of place where he's like... You know, he does not claim any authority in who he is or in what he's done. Only in the fact that by the grace of God he's been given this position. We've got to understand that in the body of Jesus Christ, it goes Jesus and then everybody else. Nobody is above anyone else in value. But in order for things to be organized correctly and for the gifts that Jesus has given to the body to be used to their fullest extent, people are given different positions in that in the body. Okay? And so you? I thought it was you. No, but <clears throat> they're given different positions, but it's about a function that they're asked to carry out. It's not that they're more important or that they have more value than someone else. Does this make sense? Yes. Okay, so Pastor Ron operates as the apostolic and leader of this church. Okay, that's who he is. That's his position. But he's not more important than the guy that cleans the bathrooms. Okay, They have the same level of importance before the Lord, and God is going to hold them both to, did you do what I gave you to do? Now, the, the, in, in the New Testament, it actually says, look, unless you know that you know that God has called you to a place of leadership... Don't go looking for one. Because you're there's there's a lot more, you know, it's easier to be held accountable to cleaning bathrooms than it is to be held accountable to discipling Christian <laughs> lives because that position that you're that you are in has, you know, is it's Jesus is holding you accountable for this, okay? So it's kind of a big deal and you need to be careful. But at the same time, God is going, but I, but I put just as much importance on what this person is doing as what this person is doing. Do you see that? Do you see that? I know it sounds kind of like at cross from each other, but they're not. Jesus said, not Jesus said, but Jesus believes, Jesus feels as, as interested in your obedience when it comes to little things as he is your obedience when it comes to the big Okay, And so when the Apostle Paul stands up and says, I've been called by God to be an Apostle, what he's saying is the same thing I would say. I would love to just sit and read my Bible and just enjoy Jesus in the corner for the rest of my life. I would love that. But God has grabbed me and thrust me to this place and said, I want you to do this now. And I'm like, okay, I'm excited about it. <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> 
and the Apostle Paul is just laying the groundwork. Okay, listen up, folks. This is who I am. God put me here. It's not my fault. Okay? About the fault part. Um, to God's church, uh, a brother in Christian faith, to God's church, this is, that's who it's from, the letter's from, this is who it's to, to God's church. I love that. It is God's church. He doesn't say my church. He doesn't say uh, Apollos' church. He doesn't say... That's God's church. Any pastor that puts his hand on something and says, these are my people, this is my church. You know, there's... Um, especially as a youth pastor, you know, I, I have... It's hard for me because every four years, all of my people I've spent so much time and energy on they're just leaving me, Lindsay Berry. They're leaving me. They're going to Evansville. <laughs> you know, some people that I've cared about and prayed about for years are stepping out to another place, and that's right, and that's good, and that's what's supposed to happen. Okay, that's that's how it's supposed to be. Some of them God brings back to us. Yay! But not always. Okay. Sometimes you're just throwing it, throwing out there. You know, whatever investment you made in that life. You just trust in the Lord with it, and, 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 and it goes. And it's because they're His people. They're not my people. At no point do I get saved. No, 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 you are my person, and that's just the way it's going to be. I was under a youth pastor a long time ago. This is after I graduated from high school, actually. And actually after Master's. But I was, I was... Working in the church, just doing. I was a youth leader. I was doing some other things, and the guy that was a youth pastor at the time um, really had this possessive kind of controlling thing. And and one of my friends went to him and said, "I feel like God's taking me out of the youth ministry and putting me over here." And he said, "Well, God didn't say that to me, so yeah." No, God didn't say that to me, so I don't think it should go anywhere. Scratchy. Yeah. If anybody ever says that to you, run! <laughs> run! Okay? No, really. <laughs> that guy wasn't youth pastor here very long. <laughs> um, but, uh, but uh, like a year and a half, like, seriously. Um, and then, uh, you don't get to do that. This isn't your church. These aren't your people. The ministry that you're doing isn't your ministry. It's God's. And you have to see it that way. And when God takes people or resources or whatever out from, out from you, you don't get to complain. God's doing what God wants to do. And God gets to take them. And, you know, that's just the way it is. So just keep that in your head. This is God's church that was made, by, made holy by Christ Jesus. That's so good. And called to be God's holy people in the city of Corinth, and to people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's us! So we get to read this letter. And we get to apply it to our lives. Because not only is he writing to Corinth, but he's writing to everyone everywhere that calls upon the name of Jesus. Yay! Okay. Grace and peace. Here, I'm going to go back to the ESV. I'm going to go to a translation. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, we see the influence of both Jewish and Greek culture on the Apostle Paul. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. What do is people in Israel say to you when you arrive or leave? What does that mean? Yes. Okay. 
in the Greek culture, it was not shalom, it was grace. Okay? God be gracious to you, the gods be gracious to you, that kind of greeting. Okay? And so he combined them. Shalom and grace to you. He says both because he's been touched by both and both are important. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be really nice to have a church that we can say, you know you know why I know you follow Jesus? Because of the way you talk. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? The speech and the knowledge that come out of your mouth all the time is obviously enriched by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be great? I'm praying for that. Okay. And the Apostle Paul said that. And he also says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. This is huge. Okay? Because here we have Paul the Apostle coming and he is he's saying, Holy Spirit, have your way. Miracles taking place. Things exploding. Awesome stuff happening. And what he says is, see, what I'm telling you about Jesus is true because it's been confirmed by all of this and by the change that's happening in your life. I honestly and truly believe that one of the primary ways that we can pay attention to whether or not we are where we need to be with God is, are you changing to become more like Christ? Because Jesus, when He gets into the middle of a situation, He changes things. He does not leave things the same. Jesus is transformational. So when He steps into the situation, life begins to flow, things begin to move, things start clicking. If there's something that hasn't moved in a long time, that is stagnant, that hasn't changed, that there's no movement, <coughs> Jesus probably isn't involved in that. So as you think about your own life, I always have a really hard time gauging, like, am I a better Christian than I was a year ago? You guys know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, am I really bad? Now you guys are ministers, so that's probably not as hard for you. Okay, just because this is this is a season of accelerated growth and intense, you know, push into the things of God. So if you're not a better Christian than you were a year ago, I'm really worried about you right now. <laughs> but in the normal walk of everyday life, okay, am I really a better follower of Christ than I was a year ago? That's hard for me to measure. Because there's been ups and there's been downs and there's been things and there's been whatever between now and then. The question I ask is, is there something the Holy Spirit's working on in me right now? Can I answer the question, what is God doing in my life today? Does that make sense? What is God speaking to me about? What part of my life is He breathing on? Is there something that He has me working on? Is there something He has me thinking about? Is there something that I'm chewing on in the Spirit? Is there something stirring on the inside of me? If the answer is no, then I haven't been in the presence of Jesus because that's what the presence of Jesus does. The presence of Jesus awakens you to reality. The Holy Spirit is constantly searching your inner man and praying to the Father for you and, and revealing stuff to you and going, did you know this about you? And you're going, no, I didn't. I hate that. And he's going, it's okay. It's cool. I'm going to help you. You know, If that is going on, okay, that's, that's your, then you're probably right where you need to be. But if there's ever any moment where you're like, you know, I'm good. I don't think there's anything. You are in trouble. 
You're in trouble. You are this far from falling. Martin Luther said it like this. All life is repentance. <coughs> That's a good word. Every day, there's something that we're coming to and going, i got to turn! God! Oh, I've got to turn from that! There's, all life is us coming to the Lord and saying, Oh, I need your grace here. Oh, I need your grace there. Oh, I need your grace there. It's a constant realization of the continued fact of our brokenness. We're excited about the fact that God's making us better, but there's so many onion layers to go. Where was I? <laughs> um, oh, the testimony about Christ was confirmed in me. Verse 7. So that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. Remember what I said? There's a bunch of... The, the Apostle Paul's kind of hinting about that. Well, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. There's five messages in tongues. There's 12 people prophesying. There's guys over here healing people. There's stuff over there. There's, you're not lacking in spiritual gifts. We are excited about that. That's good. Apostle Paul says that's great. Later on, he's going to try and bring some order to that and help them to understand that all of those gifts without opera, operating outside the venue of love are useless and, 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 and aren't really the activity of God. And so they have to act, operate. So that's, that's coming. Preview of coming attractions. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers. Get ready, because the Apostle Paul, from this point forward in the letter, is both barrels kaboom on the Corinthian church. This whole letter is basically rebuke. I mean, it is. This is is Daddy has got the paddle, and he's come up, and you're bending over the bed. And that's the the, Apostle, you know, that's exactly Okay, <laughs> this battle has some holes drilled in it too, so you just be ready. Okay, it's it's not it's you know you know it's it has the peacemaker written on it. It's not it's not good. It's going to be good stuff, but he's going to be tough. By the name of our Lord, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united. In the same mind and the same judgment. Okay? He's calling for unity in this church. Stop fighting. Quit it. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people. Now, if I'm Chloe's people, <laughs> right now I'm not happy with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> because they're reading the letter to the church. It's reported to me by Chloe's people, and everybody turns and looks at Chloe and her people. <laughs> and they're all like, oh, Paul. <laughs> oh, I wonder where Chloe's sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's funny that they're Chloe's people. I don't even know what that means. Reported <laughs> by Chloe's people. NIV says household. Maybe it's like her family. I'm sure that's what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, he totally just puts them out there. Okay, you know, it's, somebody told John you it was Chloe's people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this 
how much you guys love that. He double snitched the snitch. <laughs> then there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Okay. I also want to bring attention to the fact that this, he says, Chloe's people, the, the, in their culture, a woman was not the head of a household. Even when she was the only person, it would be the son or the whatever. And so the fact that they are labeled Chloe's people, this is Paul fighting against that cultural norm. He's saying, no, she we all know she wears pants in that family, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Probably it's because Chloe's husband is gone. Um, but at the same time, that Paul, I, I love the fact that we can honestly say that everywhere Christianity has gone, women have been lifted up in that culture. Okay, the natural tendency of human culture is to is the degrading and the destruction of of women. And from Jesus all the way through the New Testament, women are lifted up and they're put in places of prominence and authority. And that's important. Okay? Look at what happens everywhere Islam goes. We're going to put them in burqas and cover their faces and they're not allowed to speak and they have to walk five steps behind and to the left of their husbands. Okay? What happens wherever the gospel goes? Women are lifted up and I think that's awesome. Okay. Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, Peter, or I follow Christ. That's that's the one that just ticks you off. Because right? <laughs> you know, like, I'll, you know, I'll be like, oh, I really love John Piper. He's one of my favorite teachers. And somebody else will go, well, you know, I love Jesus. <laughs> it's just like, shut up. <laughs> Is Christ divided? No. Is Christ divided? The Apostle Paul's like, look, you are the body of Christ in Corinth. Is it okay for the arm to be over here and the leg to be over there and the head to be rolling around over there? No. Is Christ divided? No. You must be unified. Was Paul crucified for you? I love the fact that he uses his own name in the next few questions. He doesn't say, was Apollos crucified for you, that jerk? No. <laughs> he brings it back to himself. Paul was a master politician, so this kind of thing. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he does a normal Paul ADHD moment. I thank God I baptized none of you except Christmas and guys. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Wait a minute, I did baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anybody else. <laughs> I love that it's here. He did so. this one with his own hand. No, no, Are you he, sure? He did it, and he never, he never did because Paul has really bad eyesight. But I, th- I read this yesterday. At, at the end of the letter, yeah, yes, it says, "See the large letters that I use when I write you in my own hand." Right. I, I thought I read it yesterday. And I was like, wow, Paul actually yes. wrote this. No, he didn't. And, but he signed the greeting in his own name, in his own hand. And that's and so he's kind of showing them, this is what it would look like if I actually wrote to you. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he says, this is my in 1621, it says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Yes. So just that part. Yeah, just that, that part. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah, that's that's what he's saying. I I've read the rest of this all was was dictated. <laughs> gotcha. Always sends me back to Monty Python. Perhaps it was dictating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
whales should be found in the castle. <laughs> Die well carving it. <laughs> Wouldn't have bothered to carve out. He uh, would have just said it. Well, perhaps he was dictating. Shut up! <laughs> I have no idea what just happened. I wonder if that movie is, it's but that was movie. great. It's, it's from a movie. I don't want to watch the movie. I just want to watch you reenact the entire thing. That would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be great. That's the thing I probably could. That's the. We could video record that. You would be like viral on YouTube. <laughs> For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That verse 17. We all need to hear that. And this is really the message of this entire chapter and some of the next chapter. When we try to do the work of God in our own strength, we aren't helping God out. We are stealing from the power of God. That's a scary thing. Can you imagine what would happen to someone who emptied the cross of its power? I mean, come on, <laughs> lightning bolt, right? But we do it all the time. We attempt to, to preach the gospel. We attempt to do God's work with our own abilities and our own understanding. And the, the apostle says, when you do that, you are taking the faith of men and women and you're placing it in you. You don't want them putting their faith in you. You want them putting their faith in the power of God. Which is why one of my all-time favorite forever verses in, is in chapter 2. And it's the, actually, this is just the second half of chapter 2, uh, chapter two 5, I think it is. Let me look. Maybe we will get to chapter 2. No, it's just verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That was Paul's goal. I want to ground you in Christ. Not in Paul. Not in anybody else. I want to ground you in Christ because I'm going to screw up. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall. I'm going to screw up. Bad things are going to happen if you trust in me. But if you trust in Christ, you're going to be fine. No matter what happens. Because He won't fail. And when we, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, ground people in what we can do for them, or our wisdom, or our knowledge, one of the things that I tell people all the time, when people come in, you know, they do the whole thing, I really need to come and talk to you Pastor Okay. One of the first things I say to them is, FYI, I can't help you. I want you to know that right now. I've got one answer and only one answer. That's it. One. And you're going to do the same thing for me over and over and over and over again. And because I know people, you aren't going to listen to me, you aren't going to do it, and you're going to be stuck in this problem until you finally do wise up and figure out that I only have one answer. Are you talking to Jesus about this? Are you going to Him for this answer? And sometimes people get frustrated with me 
Because after three months, I'm still telling them the same thing. Have you prayed about this? Are you praying every day? Are you reading your Bible? Are you going to God with this issue? Well, not really. Then I've got nothing else to say. When are you going to say something else to me? Not until you figured that one out. Okay? Rule number one. Go to the fountain that never runs dry. Go to the table that always has food on it. Go to the one who has the answer for everything. Rule number two. Figure out rule number one. Okay? Totally stole that from Karate Kid. Anybody? Yes. Karate Kid too. Rule number one. Day for defense only. Rule number two. First rule, learn rule number one. Mr. Miyagi, he's awesome. The original. And somebody say to me, you Miyagi? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, I don't think I did because my fence isn't painted, and my floor isn't sanded, my cars aren't nice. What's your problem? Come on. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. This part of this chapter just gets me so excited. Yeah. I can't all. Yeah. Woo! Okay. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. If the world looks at you and says, mm, that makes sense. You are not preaching the gospel. Really? They have to say, that doesn't make sense. That isn't fair. That's not okay. You mean Hitler could have said, Jesus, forgive me, and he would have, and you got to be like, yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like, no way! That's not fair! You mean I'm going to get sent to hell because I don't believe in this prophet that lived 2,000 years ago that walked on the earth and he may not have even existed? Yes. That doesn't make any sense! Foolishness! Foolishness! And you're going, yeah, I know, right? That's so great. <laughs> because that was God's whole point. Yes. God stepped into the midst of the smarty pants of humankind and said, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm going to do things in such a way that you're going to say it's foolish and I'm still going to win. <laughs> I love it. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Okay, that's English standard version, but I like it. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. If God wanted philosophers, He would have preached philosophy. He didn't. What did Jesus do? Jesus preached to the lowest common denominator. He didn't go to the religious leader. He didn't go to the one that had spent their lives studying Scripture. He went to the fishermen. He picked up dirty, slimy, smelly fishermen and said, I, you, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, and I'm going to send you out into the world to preach the gospel to all, to all nations. 
You, Peter. I'm sending you, buddy. And Peter's going, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Don't send me. And Peter's going, that's why I'm sending you. Because <laughs> you're an idiot. Because you're going to screw up. Because then when I still succeed, everyone will know it wasn't you, it was me. Woo! It's good news. Because I'm an idiot too. Sense of the wisdom. Oh, okay. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. Because here's Jesus, here's God, looking at the glory of human culture, okay? Basically sticking his middle finger up to it. <laughs> yes, God just flipped off human culture. <laughs> That's what's up. I love it. God's like, God's like, you build this glorious tower of Babel all on your own, the strength of humankind, the wisdom of humankind. I think of Shakespeare. You know, Shakespeare talks about. Oh, oh man! And he starts talking about the 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 human, you know, in wisdom and and in play. Hell, like a god, and God's going, <laughs> like a god. <laughs> and he just he goes right to the gospel confronts every culture at its most weak point. The gospel comes to every culture and just kicks it on its butt. I love that the gospel. Confronts every culture at its place where it's where it's the most where you know it's the ugliest. I think about our culture. The gospel comes along and says, "Materialism, huh? I want you to give everything away. I want you to come and do this thing with me." You know, and we're like, "But, but, but, my iPod." It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, music sings. You know, hey, guess what? He, the gospel comes to our culture of excellence and showmanship and says, I don't want that. I want crappy guys on guitars and and whatever and your excellence and showmanship, I'm not gonna use that. I'm gonna use this crazy little stuff and whatever. I, I love it. The gospel comes to every culture and just smacks it in the face. And there's some things about the about the gospel that every culture is gonna like. Okay? If you go to New York City, they love what Jesus has to say about don't judge. They love what Jesus has to say about, you know, about raising up women. Yes! They love what Jesus has to say about, you know, taking care of those who are hurting, etc. But they hate what Jesus has to say about sex. What Jesus has to say about materialism. They hate what Jesus has to say about uh, the, the, their moral lives and whether or not they should be people that are deceptive or not. They hate what you do you see what I'm saying? But if you go to an Islamic culture, they love what Jesus has to say about sex. They love what Jesus has to say about a moral code. They love what Jesus has to say about all those things. But when you start talking about, no, but we're going to raise up women. And we talk about equality and we talk about human rights because Jesus was a big human rights guy. Okay? Then they're going, no, 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 we don't like that part. Because Jesus is Jesus. No matter where he goes, no matter what he runs into, he doesn't change. And there's always going to be parts of him and parts of the gospel that are going to make the culture go, ah, what? You know? Jesus died on a cross. 
the Jewish, the Old Testament says, cursed is he who is hung on a tree. Jesus specifically became cursed so that he could overcome the curse that was on you. But the Jewish people go, I can't follow a man who was crucified. I can't follow a man who who stands next to sinners and says, I'm going to use you. I can't do that. The Jewish culture says, no way. But the Greek culture is like, relevant, lofty words and wisdom. And they loved, there was this whole group of them that were called the sophists. Okay? They loved rhetoric. Beautiful words. And they would spend years and years and years studying how to speak eloquently. How to win a crowd. Okay? Aristotle had a lot to say about this. Okay? That, but Jesus comes in and tells people bedtime stories. <laughs> and that's his message. You're giving me a pair of the mustard seed? <laughs> Are you serious right now? That's not that's that's not beautiful and rhetorical and awesome. Well, how in the world did you get a following? But that's who Jesus is. He loves to do that. He loves to take human culture and just be like, nope, I'm going to turn the tables over. You make my house a den of thieves. <laughs> Jesus loves it. He loves to confront us exactly where we're not like him and just be like, look, I'm me and there's nothing you can do about it. I get to make the rules. I love that. I love that. If we're too... We have to get to who Jesus is. As preachers of the gospel, we have to stand with who Jesus is. And in some places, that means the culture around you is going to like what you have to say. And in some places, that means the culture around you is going to hate what you have to say. And unfortunately, in our culture, we identify people by the things they say that we like. We don't identify people by the things they say that we like. That's so true. We identify them by the things they say that we hate. One of my, if you guys don't know who Mark Driscoll is, you need to look him up, okay? Preacher of the Gospel in Seattle, okay? And he preaches against homosexuality. Well, there's a huge homosexual population in Seattle. And he's had multiple death threats against him. Anytime, and, and almost every day in front of his church, which he has this huge church, and there's like nine campuses in Seattle, and it's like the only church in Seattle that's actually growing. Okay? But he... In front of his church, almost every Sunday is a rally uh, of of homosexual, uh, uh, you know, rights people. And they're like, "You hate, you know, God hates homosexuals enough." And it's just like, no, he doesn't. He really loves you, but he's not okay with that lifestyle. Look him up if you get a chance. He doesn't really talk about homosexuality much at all, <laughs> but he just has the boldness in that culture. When, you know, at some point during the year or whatever, because this is what the Bible says, he's going to talk about it. He talks about it in the context of, you know, all, uh, you know, a conversation about sexuality and God's design for sexuality and what God loves and what God hates about the way humans treat sexuality. And as one point in that sermon, he'll mention homosexuality. 
There's four other points have nothing to do with it but that one point, and everybody hates him. Ninety percent of the time, he's not even mentioning it in his sermons, but people are still like, oh, he's the guy that hates homosexuals. <laughs> I love him. Because Jesus would have been treated the same way. We preach Christ crucified. Doesn't matter what culture I'm in, doesn't matter where I'm going, I preach Christ and Him crucified. That's what I preach. People are going to be offended. It's the way it is. Fine. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. As strong as men get, at their height of strength, God's weakness is stronger than that. At the height of human wisdom, God's wisdom is wiser than that. God's foolishness is wiser than the height of men's wisdom. That's good news. We consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. I love that sentence. People are going, that doesn't even exist! And God goes, I know, but it trumps your existence. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is where we've been for all these weeks. What does this all boil down to? What is this all about? It's all about Him. And He has set it up and done things specifically to show that the glory of man is worthless and his glory is worth everything. Over and over and over again, God demotes the glory of man and promotes the glory of God. Over and over again, he does, he does things in the most crazy ways. To, he goes to great lengths to disarm human arguments, to crush human uh, uh, you know, thing, awesome things that people have done. I believe this is one of the reasons why communism just fell flat on its face after not even 50 years. You guys know what I'm talking about? You didn't grow up in the age of the Soviet Union like I did. Okay? Where we were told that at any moment the air raid sirens are going to go off and we're all going to be fried to a crisp. Uh, you know, and that's just the way it is. You know, and my teachers used to say things like, you know, Fort Wayne is the fourth city on the hit list of the Soviet Union because of. <clears throat> I don't know if that's even true. But, well, it didn't make sense until I realized that at that time, which this isn't true anymore, but at that time, we had a lot of military contractors in this town. We still have one. It's called Raytheon. It's right there. Um, but we used to have three or four or five, and we were making military equipment here. 
in Fort Wayne. And so we would have been higher on the hit list. I don't know about number four. It's like New York City, Washington, D.C., L.A., and Fort Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, about just a couple hours from here is Grissom Air Force Base, like the largest Air Force Base in the, you know, in this, in hundreds and hundreds of miles. And, you know, they're going to completely ignore them, but we're going to blow up four wings. <laughs> what happened was there was this idea, okay? You guys know about socialism, you know about communism and Karl Marx, okay, right? Okay. The, the idea was man at his best doesn't need God. And it started a revolution in multiple countries where the poor overthrew the rich, took all of their money, and then said, we're going to hand out this resource to everybody in our country and spread it, spread the wealth around so that everybody has the same. Nobody's more important than anybody else. And it's all going to be handled through the government because that way it's fair. Right? That was the idea. Okay, well, <laughs> All right. That way it's fair, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they started to do it. And socialists and communists all over the world were like, "Yes! This is awesome." We are five like 5 years in, okay? And it's obvious this is not working. And it's not and and they lumbered along for a lot and they accomplished some great things, but they would do stuff like, I remember this one particular moment that I read about where Nikita Khrushchev came. He was the leader of the Soviet Union. He came to the United States. That was the one, I don't know if you know, I'm a big history guy. But he stood up in the General Assembly of the United Nations, and he was, he was talking about how communism was going to take over the world. So the UN, brilliant. And at one point, he got mad, and he took his shoe off and started banging the the pulpit <laughs> with it, saying, "We're going to take you down. This is, you know, commun uh, uh, you know, capitalism is over. You know, whatever, it's dead. You know, these old, you know, the United States. Watch out, Kennedy, because here I come. Okay, and sure. uh, really, that, that's yeah, that, that's, that's who killed. Him. Okay, no, that's not who killed. Him. I it just was killed killed him. It was George W. Bush. Um, no, I'm sorry, George H. W. Bush. I watched a documentary. Did I tell you about it, guys about that? I watched a documentary that said that George W. Bush's dad had run the CIA team that killed John F. Kennedy. That was probably a really good. It's a fascinating. And then I had this dream that night that, that there's this banging downstairs, and I run downstairs, and and George H. W. Bush kicks my front door down. And walks in. He's a really tall guy, and he had a cigarette, and he walks in, and 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 he's like he's like take him. And then like these guys grab my arms, and I'm like laying there. And he pulls this gun out. And he's like, did you think I would let you figure this out? <laughs> <laughs> That was the end of the dream. Between my eyes, like I literally. It's so great. Your dad looks just like him, so it makes it perfect. That's the little bush. Yeah. But just you. Was that on TV? Because I don't think I remember. It's on Netflix. You can watch it on Netflix. 
It's a well done documentary. It really is, and, and you know, it makes you think. But anyway, <laughs> while Nikita Khrushchev was here in the United States, he flew on a on a uh, helicopter, Marine One, with President Kennedy. And so when he went home to Russia, he, he loved that so much that he was like, oh, I want to fly helicopters now. <laughs> and, and they said, oh, Mr. Chris, our helicopters. <laughs> you know, they got to space first, they get all this, these big accomplishments, but all the time people at home are starving. And in the 80s, okay, Ronaldus Magnus, Ronald Reagan, I love that man. He's my president. I didn't vote for him because that was two. <laughs> Ronald Reagan uh, said, you know what we're going to do? The way we're going to beat them is we're just going to, we're, we're going to infiltrate them with Western culture through TV, through, uh, through, like you know, uh, styles and you know, like stuff like MTV and and you know, pop culture, and we're just going to outrich them. <laughs> we're going to make lots of money, and they're not going to be able to keep up, and they're going to try and they're going to crash, and that's exactly what happened. He set the American economy loose, and we like got really rich really fast, and and we were doing stuff, and and it just. Capitalism totally destroyed communism, and now it's gone. Basically, the only place it exists in the world is China. And in China, they have these sections of China that are allowed to be capitalist. And that's what's making all their money right now, is those little sections of China. I thought Cuba was money. Cuba is. But, I mean, are we really worried about Cuba? <laughs> people are dying, and people are starving, people are not doing well. Cuba is not a good place. Cuba. North Korea. But <coughs> yeah, North, North Korea. Korea. But, you know, it's that's like, not it's communism, that's no. a dictatorship. Um, but anyway, and people are all starving there, too. The only reason it's working in China is because they've got this little capitalist wing that they're allowed to take all the money from. To, to run their country. And the truth is, it's not working in China either, because if you know anything about China, you can't breathe. There's way too many people. You're not allowed to have more than one kid. I mean, there's just, just so many problems there, it's not even funny. And the church, which is outlawed, is growing at a million people a month. <laughs> but the whole thing, Karl Marx said that religion was the opiate of the masses and it should be done away with. He said that in 50 years, we won't even have religions. What year was that in? <laughs> like 1901. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Guess what? God took this brilliant human idea, which when you hear about it on the surface, it's kind of like, I can see that working. Right. And he was like... <laughs> You gonna do this without me? <laughs> Alright. It's 42, are we done? We started late. Yes, we did. Alright. No human being might boast of the presence of God. 
He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. Yes! Jesus! Jesus is my wisdom. Jesus is my life. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my sanctification. Jesus is my redemption. And I don't need anything else. He says, therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I am not going to stand up in front of you today and talk to you about the five ways that I figured out to do this. And that's how it's coming. Let me just tell you, way number one. No. (laughs) No. I've got one answer for you, and only one. And it's the only answer I will ever have for anyone. Period. Jesus! Now, go figure that out. (laughs) I'm serious. It's such a big... We don't get it. He's the source. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's our righteousness, our justification, our wisdom, our salvation. He is the whole package. He's everything. From Him, through Him, and to Him be all things. To God be the glory forever. Amen. It is the only thing we need to be interested in is Jesus. Period. When we get that figured out, we will start doing stuff right. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, and I will spend all day boasting about Jesus. Boast it up. When I came to you, brothers, this is chapter 2, I did not come proclaiming to you uh, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul could have done it too, because Paul was a very educated man. He sat at the feet of Galen, okay? the greatest Jewish philosopher of the time. Paul was his protege. Paul was his uh, met, you know, mentee. Okay? That was a big deal. That was getting the best preschool of all time. You know what I'm talking about? That was He was the Ivy League. So he had... The stats, man. He could have done it. He could have walked in and been like, and just been like all wise and all whatever if he wanted to. Paul had the stuff. But he said, I didn't do that. I didn't come there doing that. I tried it in Athens. It did not work. <laughs> I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit. Spirit and power. What does that mean? We've lost this in the church in a huge measure. We've got to get back to basics, guys. If we aren't demonstrating the Spirit power, then we've got nothing. And these these people out there that are like, well, I don't know if I really need the Holy Spirit. You're an idiot. You don't read the Bible. Paul walked into Corinth and said, look, Jesus and Him crucified, and this is what happens when that happens, and He healed lame people and blind people and deaf people. He said, when the kingdom of God crashes into this place, everything changes, and, and let me show you. Which if you think about the message of Jesus, Jesus did the same thing. Jesus would go to a place and He would preach, but He never left a place without demonstrating the power of God. Without showing them what the kingdom of heaven was like. 
we gotta get there. And I don't know. What, I don't know what that. I don't know what it takes. I'm not saying I'm there. I'm not. I don't know what it takes. I don't know. <laughs> we gotta get on our knees. But we gotta go for the Lord, and we gotta say, God, we need demonstrations of the Spirit's power. We've got to have them. Now, there's other stuff that we have to figure out, like you know, discipleship, and that, that stuff is all important. But we, this is step one, folks. And my favorite verse there, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then he says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. That's where we come on, that's, that's, the, that's the ground level. And as you begin to grow, then yes, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There is salvation and that first reality of how people come to Christ. There's got to be a power encounter. It does. Nothing else is going to hold. Nothing else is going to stay. Salvation is a supernatural act. It can't be a thought process. There'll be a thought process that happens, but that in, there has to be an encounter between God and a human soul. It has to happen. If that doesn't happen, nothing else will stay. So when you're praying, and when you're witnessing, Look for that moment. I won't do witnessing with the youth based on wisdom. There's whole, like, you know, things that are they're fine, whatever. You know, Ray, do you know Ray Comfort? Okay. Ray Comfort's a guy who likes to take the Ten Commandments and use them to beat the crap out of you so that when you're done, he can say, Think you need a Savior now? Doesn't he do that with Kirk Cameron, with the way yes. of the master? That's what you're talking about. Yes. Right? I don't like that method at all. I, it's fine, whatever. If people are getting saved, praise the Lord, but I won't do it. And here's why. There's no power. Where's the power encounter? It's like a guilt encounter. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes... Okay. The Apostle Paul says that the law is the schoolmaster that leads us to Jesus. Okay. That it makes sense, alright? The Apostle Paul said that the law is supposed to beat you senseless until you realize I've got to have Jesus because I can't do anything else. Okay? That is that's the that's right, that's true, and that's biblical. But for me, that minus minus a power encounter, which doesn't happen in they don't teach you about that in that in the way of the master. And my, to me, minus a power encounter with God at the end of that. Fine, if you want to use that to be as your kind of intro, because it's a nice systematic way to begin a conversation with someone about Jesus. Fine. But if there's no power encounter, to me that's worthless. I think they need to go next to each other. Yeah, that's just why we do stuff. I do I have people come in and teach the way of the master here. 
I did at twice the the or this last home missions. And then we went and then we prayed and we went out treasure hunting. Now have you guys been treasure hunting? You gotta go with me next time we go. We haven't since it's gotten cool we haven't gone. But we're gonna we're gonna start going again. Probably I really want to ramp it up like to every other Tuesday night. Where we go, we come together for about a half hour prayer, and then we fill get in bands and just go out wherever the Lord is telling us to go. What you do is you pray, you ask God for clues. Show me who, show me where, show me what. Okay? And you write them down. And sometimes they're goofy. Sometimes they're goofy. Were you, were you here for that this, this summer, Lindsay? You weren't. Um, we had people write things down like uh, peaches. Or just weird stuff. But it just it came into their heads. I said, whatever comes to your mind, write it down. Okay, It might be God, it might not be, but just write it down. Okay, and and so this is this is in prayer. We spend at least half hour praying, asking God, show us who, show us where, show us what. Okay, and they just write down whatever it is. And some of it was like a black hat, you know, a blue shirt, you know, Nikes, you know, stuff like that. Okay, but some of them were really weird, like peaches or you know, that. and and you know, Cookie Monster. Um, I'm just getting everything from these. <laughs> Um, but uh, but and then we go out and and one of the things to do is we look for clues about where and so usually we'll send different vans to different places depending upon clues that people got about where some people just write down Glenbrook Mall you know, I'm supposed to go there and so we had a group go there we had a group go to Jefferson Point we had a group go to Walmart okay and you just go in twos and you walk through the thing and you look for your clues. Peaches. <laughs> You're in Walmart, you walk down the aisle where the peaches are and you wait. Okay? Whatever. <laughs> peaches gotcha! <laughs> I will save these peaches. And then when somebody shows up and there's a couple of those clues that fit that person. That guy's a black hat and cookie. And you go up and start a conversation with them. A lot of way, a lot of times, I have them start the conversation by saying, "Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but early on, my friend and I were praying, and I was asking God to show us. He was asking God to show us somebody He wanted to talk to today, and He gave me a black hat. Look, it's right here, black hat and cookie monster, and um, to end your prayer." We had some amazing stuff happen last year. We went out twice that week. We had uh, some people get healed. We had just crazy stuff. Some people who were backslidden Christians, and God was like calling them back. One, this is a really crazy one, was this, this girl in our youth group, her brother had committed suicide like a year before. And um, his name was Daniel. And uh, and while she was praying, she got Daniel and suicide on the list. You know who it is. And 
and uh, and she at first was like, I can't write those down because that's just me going back to my stuff. And Laura's like, No, I want you to write it down. So she did. And she was in Barnes and Noble over here at Glenbrook Mall, and um, there's this guy was just in one section, and she was just drawn to this guy, and he matched a couple of other things. She walked over there, and she's like, hi, and she kind of started the spiel. What's your name? Daniel. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> he had been considering suicide. She was able to minister to him in that place and talk to him about her brother. And yeah. Crazy, right? Okay. So cool. Um, I know. Power encounter. Do you see? And from that place, you can have a conversation like the way of Master. When, all right, something weird has already happened, you just walked into my life out of nowhere, and, and you know, told, you know, showed me on the list, okay? That's, I'm freaked out already. We walked up to, I walked up to this one uh, lady in a wheelchair, and there was another lady sitting next to her, and I just, I just walked over there, and I said, hi, I uh, just walk, walking by, and they didn't have any of the stuff on my list, but I just felt like God was like, pray for them. So I was like, hey, can I just pray for you, whatever? And they were like, what? Like, they were freaked out. And the, the lady next to me was like, it's okay, he's a pastor. And they were like, well, oh, okay then, okay. <laughs> Help them calm down. But I was just like, I just, I'm nothing crazy, I just want to pray for you. And the girl was like, I really need somebody to pray for me. Because my husband and I are having problems. Well, her husband is sitting right next to her on the bench. And she, she didn't even like... And, and he's like, well, that's true. <laughs> so we talked for a while, and, and I prayed with him, and I don't know what God did. I remember one time I was praying, and I... I was in the middle of just my normal prayer time, and I had this picture in my head of a red car door. That's all it was. It was a red door, and there was writing on it. And I couldn't see what the writing was. And, and the Lord was like, just remember this. And then I went on praying. Okay? Didn't even think about it. And as I'm driving home from that prayer meeting, there it was. Blue truck with a red door <laughs> with writing on it. <laughs> Okay? And I was like, oh crap, what am I supposed to do? So I just drove right on by, right? And I'm just like, ah. Oh. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, so I was like, fine. And then I was like, you know what? No, you're going to have to go further than this. If you want me to go back there, you're going to have to have Rachel call me. Ring, 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 ring. Hi, babe. I'm going to be late coming home. i got a job. Something I'm going to do. <laughs> My wife and I have been married long enough that when I say something like that, she's like, okay, I'll see you anymore. And I went back to the house. As I pull in the driveway, this guy comes bursting out the front door. And I'm like, oh, crap, I would have thrown it first. <laughs> <laughs> I just turned it around. <laughs> but you know, I was like, fine, and I got out, and 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 he's like, and he's like, can I help you? I said, this is gonna be so crazy. <laughs> just driving by, I just felt like God wanted me to stop here and break his The thing is, I had just lost my job two days before this, 
And uh, and he says to me, yeah, I just lost my job. And I'm like, I know how you feel. And God cares enough about you that he sent me here to pray for you. I just lost my job too. <laughs> it sucks. Uh, I want to pray for you. And so we prayed together. And then I left. And I don't know what happened after that. I mean, I don't know. But that man heard that day that Jesus Christ, and I specifically said Jesus, I didn't say God. Jesus sent me here to tell you he's got things under control. He's going to take care of you. I've never seen that truck since. So I don't know. We're totally off. So we'll just pray and close things. <laughs> Father, I thank you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to crush the wisdom and the glory of man that your glory might be exalted and lifted up in the earth. And Lord, Lord, I pray with all my heart for me and for these master students that we would know what it is to operate in your power. That we would demonstrate kingdom power everywhere we go. I ask for healing. I ask for words of wisdom and words of knowledge. I ask for visions and dreams. I ask for demonstration of the Spirit and power to explode out of this group, me included. Father, I pray an anointing for the miraculous to fall upon us and that you would open up doors even today for us to step out and to demonstrate power, the power of the kingdom of heaven here on the earth in Jesus' name that your name might be glorified and the gospel might run swiftly. Amen. Amen. Alright, guys. Oh,